The liturgy is in fact the first teacher of catechism. Being more is not just what we get to define, it's how God calls us to himself. He is the more. To do a little mystagogical catechesis. Mystagogical catechesis. Huh? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I don't understand. <laughs> is that a little too hot? Sorry. Be more. That makes sense. Be more. Yes! Welcome to Mysticat. This is Father Andrew Strobel. And this is Curtis Ketty. And we are so excited today to have a conversation about something we never thought we'd have to talk about. How do you practice the faith in a pandemic? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy times. And, you know, we do, we, we actually recorded a couple episodes before all this happened. And uh, we wanted to release those. But before we did, we really felt like we had to address this truly unprecedented moment in sort of the modern modern era of the church and all of the stuff that's happening and all the uncertainty. And we've got been getting a lot of questions, actually. We have been. And of course, our, our concern is about all those who, you know, are sick um, or vulnerable or, you know, especially are going through difficult times because everybody's in this, you know, jobs mm-hmm. are being affected. Uh, families are um, experiencing, you know, children at home when they're normally at school. Um, there's a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety. So we just, you know, really want to um, encourage everyone to uh, turn their hearts to Christ because there's been a lot of graces now too. But before we jump in, I just wanted to just let everyone know that we are in this together. Like the church has this beautiful understanding of the common good and solidarity. So when it comes to the church's social teaching, how we are to live together, we do look out for the common good. And now everybody has that sentiment um, very much on our minds. These actions we're taking to basically um, lay low, stay inside, so practice what a term we never used before a couple weeks ago, normally social distancing um, <laughs> to really look out for the most vulnerable among us um, is a beautiful uh, understanding of the, how we care for the common good. And then also solidarity, the sense we're in this together and we really are. So hopefully today's discussion will uh, be able to be a little encouragement for everyone. Yeah. And we uh, want to make sure that everyone at home knows that Father Andrew and I are practicing some social distancing right now. Yeah, thanks be to God. Yeah, we are not we are not in the same room, so we apologize in advance if things don't sound quite as you know top notch quality as they usually are. I should have gone to the basement anyway, but I'm in the office. Right. That's okay. Normally, we're recording in the basement of the rectory, which is a good time where we have a bunch of meetings. Well, if it makes any difference, I'm in the basement at my home. I'm in it my does. basement. That makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. That makes me feel good. All right. Well, do you want to dive in? Are you ready? I'm out of go juice, but that's okay. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that means. Well, this type of go juice is simply, that's what uh, a D&D commentator calls his crystal light. But this is generic, sugar-free, juicy juice from Walmart. Okay. And that helps you go. Well, not in the way you just said it. (laughs) I guess it didn't come out quite right. (sighs) It is go juice. I guess in that sense, all juice is go juice. Okay. So. (laughs) Welcome to Mr. Cat. Yeah. Mr. Cat is back. Um, So, so yeah, we're living in a strange little era, a little time where now we are being called upon 
to be stay-at-home Catholics. We're sheltering in place as Catholics. Um, we're not going to mass. Um, you know, the all of these these things that keep changing day after day after day, and we're approaching Easter, and it looks like we're not going to have any Easter liturgies. Um, well, and the way that we. Happen. Well, yeah, the way that we. What? So, okay, so here's what here's what, what we're going to do. We have received some great questions from some of our listeners, and I thought what I could do, Father, is read the question to you, and Damn. get your get a hot take. What's oh gosh! All right, everybody, step back from your headphones or speakers. <laughs> here comes some hot takes. Here's some hot takes. All right, all right, all right. First question. Um, something that we've been providing our parishioners, and I know that a lot of parishes have been providing this as sort of uh, something that they can do when they're, say, watching a live stream of a mass, is what we call the act of spiritual communion, which is a prayer um, in which you sort of make a spiritual communion with Christ. You can't receive him, the real presence in the Eucharist, so you make a spiritual communion. Maybe could you... Talk a little bit about what is this, the act of spiritual communion. And then part B is, can kids or adults who have not received their first communion, can they make an act of spiritual communion? Yeah. So spiritual communion is just a prayer that you would say that you would offer to our Lord, opening your heart to him and asking to be in communion with him, right? Spiritually. Now, when we talk about Holy Communion that we receive, of course, at Mass uh, through the Eucharist, that communion, um, you know, is a sacrament that we actually receive. So spiritual communion is not a sacrament in that way. It's not the same as receiving Holy Communion at Mass either. And that's the thing we do have to make clear. Now, for years, you know, I used to watch Mass on TV. Like one Lent in college, I wouldn't have anything on the TV except for EWTN in my dorm room, which was a good time. And during the Mass, when it came time for communion, obviously, if you're watching at home, you're not actually present for mass uh, in the church, you can't go up and receive communion. So they put up this prayer, spiritual communion prayer. And it's beautiful. I mean, it's this sense of, okay, I do want to receive our Lord right now, but I can't actually receive him, but I want to still unite my heart to him. And so it's just this pious practice of telling our Lord that you want to receive him in Holy Communion. You know, we have a beautiful understanding in our faith of desire and how <laughs> for good and bad, right? How if you desire the good, but you actually can't participate in the good, right? Like some virtue you want to do. Let's say like you'd, you would love to go and uh, serve those right now in the hospital who are sick, but you actually physically can't do it for whatever reason. But that desire itself is a participation already in that good in a sense. So the desire to receive Holy Communion is a participation in the good of Holy Communion in a, in a sense. We get this on the negative side, though, when we talk about sin. So our Lord even talks about that when he um, speaks about, you know, uh, you, the sins that we can do in our hearts, even right when it comes to anger and lust, how even in our hearts, if we commit those sins, because we have that bad desire, that evil desire um, to do something evil, even if we can't physically do it, there's still participation in the evil. So there it's really spiritual communion is taking seriously our desires and forming our desires to Christ. And when we can't be at mass to receive Holy communion to spiritually, just like any prayer spiritual, open our hearts to Christ and want to be connected. So that means that, okay, you don't need to have received Holy communion 
to pray the actus rich communion because it's a desire to receive. Yeah. I mean, actually, in a sense, in a way, any child before they've received Holy Communion, let's just start there, um, who's awaiting Holy Communion, like has been to Mass and sees their older brothers and sisters go up to receive and they haven't received yet, but they want to. Like even the little child reaching out in a sense, if they – uh, you know, that desire for Holy Communion, I wouldn't say that's exactly the same thing. We can't see their heart. But even at a young age, a child can say, I want to receive Jesus in the Eucharist. In a sense, that desire is a prayer. And so that that's a type of spiritual communion that they'd be uh, participating in at that moment. And so, no, you don't have to have actually received your first Holy Communion. The same would be true for our elect um, who are preparing for baptism or those who um, were raised... Uh, Christian, but not uh, in the Catholic Church, and are preparing for their first Holy Communion and confirmation, that they can make an act of spiritual communion too. It's actually a pious practice too that began with penitence. So we used to have the order of penitence where you didn't just go to a confessional. Those were started actually the confessional is a gift of Irish monks, I understand, that that developed. But you would be part of the order of penitence. So if you committed a serious sin, you'd go through these stages of making penance and you'd start outside the church and beg people for prayer. And then eventually you'd be invited into the back of church and be able to pray, but from a distance and still ask for people's prayers until finally you were reunited with the full uh, participation with the body. And you'd be able to receive then Holy communion after you'd gone through the sacrament of penance. But St. Augustine actually, um, I understand practiced a time of going without Holy communion to unite himself with those penitents and Cardinal Ratzinger and who later became Pope Benedict the 16th um, has a beautiful instruction out there encouraging people, you know, when you can't receive Holy communion, um, you know, to unite yourself to the Lord in this way, but also in solidarity with those who are not able to receive maybe because they're married outside the church and they haven't had that um, addressed yet properly through uh, according to the church's law. Like there, or someone who's in a state of mortal sin, you know, in another way, or um, someone who's apart from the Eucharist because they're in a part of the world that only has mass twice a year, which some of our priests serving in our archdiocese serve in parts of the world like that back home. Or you're a part of a, you're in the midst of a pandemic. <laughs> or you're in the midst of a pandemic, right? Exactly. Like Pope Benedict XVI had said, you know, maybe it's a pious practice to actually forego the Eucharist at certain points to deepen your longing for the Eucharist and to be in solidarity with those who cannot receive at this moment. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of opportunity right now, obviously. So in our archdiocese, as in most dioceses in the United States right now, public masses have been suspended and we're not able to give Holy Communion as normal. But wait and a second, isn't the Eucharist the source and the summit of our faith? Like, how yeah. can we how can we suddenly go without it? Like what's, what's going on there? Well, in there, okay. So we are not actually going without the Eucharist, like mm. masses are still being celebrated. In fact, almost the same number of masses are being celebrated. Not quite because there's some different rules. If you're celebrating a mass by yourself without a, uh, the gathering of the faithful, I can't just like celebrate, you know, as many masses by myself as I would normally on a Sunday with everybody gathered, uh, without good reason. But the masses are all still taking place, even if the assembly of the faithful can't be gathered together um, to physically be present at mass. So, so that mass still, is still a source and summit of my faith, even if I'm not in attendance, even if I'm not able to receive communion. 
Absolutely. Mass is still being celebrated every day uh, around the world at all hours of the day. Thanks be to God. But also the mass, <laughs> oh my goodness, even if, you know, there was only one mass celebrated a year, right? Like even if it was just the Pope's mass once a year, the mass would still be the source and summit of the faith. Even if, <laughs> now this is a little speculation, right? Uh, even if, you know, mass had only been celebrated once at all, it's still the source and summit of the faith hmm. because it's participation in the Paschal mystery. Right. And so um, it, it's beautiful to understand that even though I, I subjectively me as the subject can't necessarily be at mass the way I want to be for all those listening to Mysticat right now during the pandemic, um, the mass is still the source and summit of your faith. So this is an important distinction. Yeah. Receiving the Eucharist is not the source and summit of our faith. No, absolutely. It is, it is the Eucharist, the liturgy of the the divine, a sacred liturgy of the Eucharist that is, is the source and summit of our faith. And that's a really important moment. You know, there's so much to consider right now. Like the hearts of many are being revealed. All of our hearts are being revealed. Where our attachments are, what we care about, what's important to us in life right now is really being challenged with all this um, change and with everything having to be reconsidered and routines being thrown up in the air and all this. And one of the things we have to consider is how we've taken Holy Communion for granted. Mm -hmm. So even when we talk about our Sunday obligation, so many people would think, oh, that means I have to receive Holy Communion on Sunday. At least in practice, that's what so many think, especially in the United States. But the obligation is not to receive Holy Communion. The obligation is to attend Mass. So physically, right? Now, in the church's precepts, so the five precepts of the church, you actually only are supposed to receive, you only have to receive Holy Communion one time a year during the Easter season as one of the precepts for the church of the church, what we're supposed to do. But when it comes to what fulfills like Sunday obligation, it's not the reception of Holy Communion. And that's something we might not understand because we do a lot of beautiful care of those who are homebound or in the hospital and we bring them Holy Communion, but that's not to fulfill an obligation that they have. That's just a beautiful practice, but it doesn't actually take care of the Sunday obligation. And I'd love to chat about Sunday obligation too, a little bit more, but well, yeah. And that's one of the questions. So mm. a nice segue because hey. in our archdiocese, archdiocese of Kansas city in Kansas, and in many dioceses around the world, the, the Sunday and Holy day obligation has also been suspended or yeah. been dispensed with. And so Dispense. the question is, what does it mean that that obligation has been dispensed with? Yeah, let's be very clear. So that's simply the obligation to attend mass on Sundays. So what that means is, is the archbishop here who has the authority to do that, who has shared with me and other priests and the people too, um, that's the most difficult decision he's ever made was having to suspend public masses um, and also then dispense the faithful from their Sunday obligation. So that simply means is that it is no longer under penalty of sin to miss mass on Sundays. Wait a second. Normally is. <laughs> Wait a second. So if, if you miss mass on a Sunday, like what kind of sin is this? Is this a serious sin? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a mortal sin if you miss mass on Sunday and you know it's wrong and you freely choose to do it anyway. So there's those three conditions to a mortal sin. Missing mass on Sunday normally is grave matter for sin, meaning it's a very serious sin 
every Sunday and Holy Day of Obligation. And so if you know it is a sin and you freely choose to do it anyway, meaning you're not like in the hospital sick or you're not um, somehow actually, uh, you know, not culpable for missing mass, it's a sin. It's a sin to miss mass on Sundays and it's a serious sin, a mortal sin. It needs to be confessed before you actually then go receive Holy Communion again, <laughs> right? There's all these considerations. But when it comes to Sunday obligation, this is a really important point. Normally, one of the ways we um, keep holy the Sabbath is by fulfilling our Sunday obligation to go to Mass. Our obligation to go to Mass has now been dispensed of because of these extraordinary circumstances with the pandemic. However, keeping holy the Sabbath is divine law, right? Yes. That we can't change that. The Archbishop can't dispense us from keeping holy the Sabbath. So even if someone has received in another circumstance, right? a dispensation to have their like Sunday obligation uh, transferred, which a pastor can do, but it actually has to be your pastor, your territorial pastor to do that, by the way. Like, let's say you're saying I'm going to go on a cruise, which you're not right now, but I had some people <laughs> do this and I dispensed them of their Sunday obligation because there was actually physically no way for them to attend mass on Sunday. But I said, you need to go another day. So I transferred the obligation. I could do that as their territorial pastor. However, I couldn't say to them, but you don't have to keep holy of the Sabbath. Like you still have to keep holy the Sabbath. Right. And that's the interesting boat we are now all in as stay-at-home Catholics. Well, look at the, I mean, here's the language of the precepts. This is, you can find the precepts, by the way, in the five precepts in the catechism, beginning yeah. on paragraph 2041. And 2042 speaks of this first precept, number one, which is, you know, you shall attend mass on Sundays on Holy Day of Obligations. But it, it clarifies what it means. And this is very applicable to us now. In this strange time, it says the first precept requires the faithful to sanctify the day commemorating the resurrection of the Lord, as well as the principal liturgical feasts honoring the mysteries of the Lord, the Blessed Virgin Mary and the saints. In the first place, you sanctify the day by participating in the Eucharistic celebration in which the Christian community is gathered. But then they go on to say, and by resting from those works and activities which could impede such a sanctification of these days. So the question we ask ourselves is, okay, we can't do that first one. We can't gather and participate in the Eucharistic celebration, but can we still sanctify our day from resting from those works and activities which could impede that kind of sanctification? And what does it mean to make holy a day out of the week, to make it different and set apart? Mm -hmm. And each of our domestic churches, our homes, our families, they need to wrestle with this idea. Okay, we don't go to mass, but that doesn't mean this becomes just any other day. Yeah, it's not a free-for-all. Right. <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean that you're dispensed from the, uh, yeah, what you just said, the the keeping holy of the Sabbath. Now, we don't have um, the uh, Jewish law that that's applied to us, right, where keeping holy the Sabbath and following that law look very specific, right? Like right. even modern day, you know, we, we can turn on our stove, for instance, as Christians, <laughs> right? That doesn't break um, keeping holy the Sabbath. However, what you make is a really good point because the way the church teaches that doesn't go into a lot of details. And this is really concerning for some people, right? Especially who just want to do the good and want to do exactly what they're told. However, what we find out is, uh, you know, when the church says, no, you have to avoid work that keeps you from sanctifying your day, that is a matter for forming your own conscience. Um, and it's difficult. I mean, it'd be interesting to hear some of the ways that you keep holy the Sabbath, Curtis. That I keep holy the Sabbath? Yeah, in your family. I'd love to hear some. Well, 
Um, (laughs) (laughs) Love putting people on that spot. You know, actually, it's a little bit tricky for us because, you know, working for a parish. Yeah. um, I'm kind of. Oh, gosh. I didn't even think about that. Right. I mean, like Sunday is one of my busier days. Like I'm doing a lot of work. It's kind of like an emergency responder, like a firefighter or, you know, a police officer or someone who works at the hospital who works on, on a Sunday, you know, there is, there's this sense where you want that day to be set apart, but Mm -hmm. in fact, you, you can't because you're doing your work that is necessary so that other people can have that day sanctified. And so, you know, we have to find other times to do it. And our time for our family is actually on Saturday. Yeah. So um, the day before it's Sunday. Not, it's not that you're not sanctifying the Sabbath, right? You're you're actually doing no. work for the people of God to be able to worship on the Sabbath. Right. But if I was a firefighter, yeah, it's the same kind of thing, though. You know, you're, you're serving the, the rest of the community. So, um, you know, for us, it's really a time for me to not be away. Yeah, but for the family to be together, for us to be able to pray together, go to mass as a family together, mm-hmm. and the whole day just takes on a different character because mm-hmm. it's entered into with that sort of prayerfulness. Now we have screaming toddlers; they don't know what prayerfulness means, but the idea of being together yeah. as a little mini community, as our own domestic church, and taking care of one another, and really focusing on one another on that day is a way that we sanctify it, make it different from all the other days. Yeah. That it is still a day of rest. Yes. Where this isn't a day where I work like other days. Right. I mean, and this is something beautiful that we've received, you know, for thousands of years, this understanding. So, right. So the important thing though, here is that number one, the obligation is not to receive the Eucharist. No. Like, right. And number two, the obligation is not simply to attend mass, but it goes beyond that. Yeah, it goes beyond that. Yes, you do have an obligation to attend mass, but to keep holy the Sabbath is more than just attending mass. So that's not been dispensed. It's just nope. the mass attendance, which has been dispensed. And yep. the us feeling that hunger for the Eucharist, um, it's, it's, not, it's not like we as Catholics um, are entitled to receive the Eucharist. Is that, could you say it that way? How would you put it? Because there is, there's a feeling, there's a feeling like, where's my Eucharist? You do have, um, yeah. So you do have, if you're properly disposed, right. Which means, you know, you're a Catholic in, in good standing. You're not, uh, living in a way that's contrary to the gospel that would separate you normally from the Eucharist. So, and you're not in a state of mortal sin, all of that. Um, then if you ask for the Eucharist, like as a priest, I shouldn't deny you. However, we of course have extenuating circumstances right now where we, we are not saying I'm making this judgment call because of something about you. It's because of the circumstances. And so actually there's a moral, um, uh, principle of double effect, which is going into play right now. Like the reason if you, um, you know, would come to my door and ask for the Eucharist, I would, um, have to give pause uh, is not because I'm somehow making a judgment of whether or not you are worthy to receive the Eucharist. It's I'd be making the decision based on the circumstances of the pandemic and whether I was loving you properly. If I was to make contact with you so that you could receive Holy communion at that moment. And so the principle of double effect would be 
I'm not making this decision. The, the act itself is not denying you Holy Communion so that, right, you don't receive our Lord. It would be, I'm not coming into contact with you because of the pandemic out of love for you and our neighbor. And then the double effect, the second effect of that would be you don't receive Holy Communion. I know that's really technical, right? And it's really hard for us to kind of grasp um, some of these concepts. But I have had people reach out and say, I, I don't like that we're being denied Holy Communion. I don't like it either. This is horrible and heartbreaking, right? Like, and I don't like people, uh, what I hear stories about, you know, around the world where people can't receive Holy Communion because there aren't enough priests and they're in remote locations. And I have a buddy whose uncle is a bishop in Siberia. <laughs> like, and there are stories from over there of every weekend. They don't know if the priest is going to show up. So they go to church and they sing and they pray and they set up for mass and pray, pray, pray. The priest is going to show up. They have no idea until they're there for hours and hours. And then when the priest doesn't show, they sing and they pray and they cry and they put everything away. And what we see right now in the United States is something that's really difficult for us because we're not used to saying, wait, you can't have mass right now. And therefore you can't receive Holy communion right now. And it is horrifying and it's heartbreaking, but it's not because somehow you shouldn't receive communion, right? It's because of the circumstances with this pandemic. So say I'm watching mass live stream. This touches on another question here that I have. Say I'm watching mass live stream and we get to the liturgy of the Eucharist yeah. You know, what's stopping me from, say, putting a little plate near my computer, put some bread on there, um, and then at the consecration, you know, maybe there's a little bit of grace that flows over the, the airwaves. And even even if not, my family and I, we can take even. that bread and we can receive it and pretend like it's the Eucharist. What do you think about that? Well, the first commandment has something to say. <laughs> And then, uh, you know, liturgical theology has some more to say. Um, so here's the thing. We all are hurting right now, and I get the desire to make things the same. We have that in every area of life right now. But we can't pretend that somehow we can attend Mass in the same way or that we're actually present for the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass virtually. Right. And this is really hard to hear. Okay. So I'm not saying this um, to like put anybody down or anything like that. And that's where I think this desire of like trying to make something the same, like having some bread out and we'll receive, you know, and all this. But we got to remember, we're not simply participating in a nice meal that is a family meal at the Mass. I know we use different analogies talking about the Mass, but we're actually experiencing the Paschal mystery, the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the holy sacrifice of the Mass. And Holy Communion, that sacrament, is not somehow like infinitely flexible, right? Like, so the reason I say the first commandment has something important to say here is because when I genuflect before the Eucharist in the tabernacle or on the altar, if that is not God, I'm committing idolatry. However, if it is God, where else do I want to be right now at home? If we're confusing our children or we're, we're being confused ourselves and we're just, you know, out of a good heart, right? Wanting to do something very stable and familiar, trying to share bread at that moment, I would say, whoa, whoa, whoa. are you forming yourself in the correct way? Because that's not being formed by our faith. That's being formed by this impulse, this desire for something that's good, you know, feeling a connection of familiarity, 
sharing a meal, but it's not what we believe. And that is just normal bread. And so I would really be super, super strong. In my caution to families, go share a normal meal. Don't connect it with watching mass on TV or the internet, because I don't want your children or you to be confused that somehow that's Holy Communion because it's not. The other reason it's not Holy Communion is because the only thing that's actually consecrated, the only um, bread and wine that um, undergoes transubstantiation, right? Where the substance actually changes. What we see, what we can measure, all the accidents, like the smell, the taste, the weight stays the same, but what it is, the substance changes during the words of consecration. The words of institution our Lord said at the Last Supper is only what actually can be changed. So it has to be white meat, bread, and grape wine, valid matter, and what the priest intends. So I only intend to consecrate what's on my altar when I celebrate mass. We have a lot of hosts in the sacristy. If you have a sacristy at your church or in the bag in the side room at Madison Place Elementary where we celebrate mass, my intention is not to consecrate those hosts though. And so that doesn't happen. That means we don't have to put them in the tabernacle, right? We don't have to keep them in the saboria and put them in the tabernacle under lock and key afterwards because it's not the Eucharist. The same is true if you put bread out at home, right? I don't intend to consecrate that. So it doesn't work that way. But I, I love like the impulse to want to have familiarity, the impulse to want to gather together in prayer. But we just have to be very clear. It, this is not the same. When you watch Mass online or you watch it on television, you actually are not at Mass in the same way. You're not attending mass in the same way. And so we can't put the old expectations of this is what it's like to attend mass on that experience. So if I'm not attending mass, why should I even watch the live stream? What's, what's the benefit? Well, so it's not to fulfill your obligation to attend mass because that's been dispensed in our diocese at least. And even if it wasn't dispensed, that wouldn't fulfill that obligation. The reason I would do it is the same reason that we pray at all because it helps my heart be properly disposed to God and to receive graces. But we just have to be clear. It's not the actual attending mass, but it gives you a deeper devotion for the mass, right? For the, and I think a beautiful way that I've been seeing it put is spiritual communion prepares you for the next time you receive Holy communion. Going to mass on TV is not actually going to mass, but watching it or watching it on the internet and watching the live streams, which I've been doing every day is not the same right? But it does give your heart a greater longing for the Eucharist. And in a sense, it does point to Jesus Christ, that reality that the Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith. And so I think it's a good spiritual practice, but it's not the same as actually participating in the Mass. So even though I'm there, I'm uniting my heart, I'm praying along, I'm not participating in what you're doing? Well, not in the way that if you were in person there. Like the sacraments, this is, this is really important. Like you actually have to be present at the sacraments. That's why I can't like over the internet right now, hear your confession. I mean, besides you wouldn't want everybody on Mysticat to hear it. You actually have to be present for me to be give, be able to give you absolution. Like the sacraments themselves require this presence. Now it gets interesting when you talk about participation in the Eucharist. So this is probably going to be one of many uh, theological dissertations that comes out of all of this is like, what degree of participation do the people have when they're praying at home and not able to be present at mass? I mean, it is some degree of participation, 
but more like the degree we have in the fact that every mass is an act of the entire body of Christ. Right. Right. So you can't not participate in the mass if you're part of the body of Christ. You know what I think? I, you know what I think it speaks to? I think it speaks yeah. to the to the importance of the body. Mm. You know, we yeah. and 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 it's it's sort of rubbing us the wrong way because in our culture, and I think it's even influenced Catholic culture, we have this sort of disregard for our own bodies. We think that there, our bodies are not important. The important thing is that I can hear you, that mm -hmm. I'm spiritually united to you, but like my body doesn't actually have to be there, does it? This prison yeah. that I'm trapped in that one day I'll get to be set free from, the idea that we are a union of body and soul, and we've spoken about this in the past yeah. on this podcast, you know, that there is something profound and essential in our bodies actually being in proximity with one another in prayer. For sure. And if you don't think that, um, just consider, you know, is it the same thing listening to a conversation you're not part of? Well, some guys record a podcast <laughs> or as it would be if like we were actually in your living room and we could all talk together and we could see each other's nonverbal communication. We actually could just be together. Right. I mean, as powerful as these mediums of communication are of video and audio that we can record and save and share online. And this is all great. It's not the same as being together. Mm -hmm. And that's good. Like, we don't want this to be a substitute. This should hurt. This should feel lacking. This should be like not a substitute for what we really desire and long for and to be present. And this is the same, right? When it comes to our relationship with God. Don't accept a substitute of actually, you know, turning to him in prayer yourself. It's different to hear about someone else praying and being like, oh, yeah, that's nice. I respect that versus you actually turning your own heart to God and praying. Right. I mean, so there's a lot to touch on here. So, OK, wow. So, so many, so many interesting implications that are being revealed through this pandemic Ooh. experience. Um, let me just ask you this broad question, you know. We're all stuck in our homes, particularly right now. Yeah. We've been told to stay in our homes for a period of time and to not come yeah, out. How am I supposed to live a the life of a Catholic in my own home? Like how, what, what does that look like? What do you think that means? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> like a lot of things. Okay. We can talk about this um, in terms of a lot. We can talk about this. I want to just break it into two, two types right now, prayer and the moral life, right? So two ways. Um, first, the moral life, right? You are still bound by the moral law. It's not like just because you're in your home and you're not out and about in the world in the same way all the time. And maybe you only get out to go to the grocery store, what's allowed to go out and do right now. Um, you still are bound by the moral law, you know? And I think that's what, that's where we're really tested right now because, um, you know, integrity has been, has been defined as, um, you know, doing something regardless of who's looking, right? And I think there is this sense when we're in isolation that now, oh, it's not the same as if people were around. No, it is. It is. It is. Our Lord even gets to, into that in terms of what goes on with moral implications and what we just think about, right? So I'd say first, when it comes to the moral law, you're still bound by all that. You're still bound by the law of love, to love God and neighbor. And so let's, and I've seen way creative ways that people are doing that. They're reaching out, they're encouraging one another. Um, even the practice of social distancing is loving the neighbor, right? So that's beautiful. Um, so that's one area. You're still practicing the good life on one hand. And then we also need to practice the prayer life. Now, the prayer life, I would break into two things. I would talk about it in terms of 
personal devotional prayer. And I would also talk about it in terms of what is beautiful too. And that is um, the uh, liturgical prayer you can still do and participate in while you're even by yourself in a sense, right? So personal devotional prayer is what we're called to every day, even if we can't go inside a church building, even if we can't attend mass. And that is all the beautiful pious practices, the reading of sacred scripture and praying with our Lord in the word, the praying of the rosary and other devotions, right? That we need to do. And I found it so awesome to be able to offer that uh, type of prayer and encourage people over the internet. It's been great. Every night at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, we've been praying the rosary together and some other prayers. Awesome. But the liturgical prayer is the real opportunity right now because there is a hidden gem in the church in our liturgical prayer that is not the mass that you can do by yourself, even if you're not a priest. And that's the liturgy of the hours. Now, as a priest, I made that promise when I became a deacon to pray the liturgy of the hours. So I'm bound to it, but anybody can pray it. Religious pray it, religious sisters and brothers pray it, lay people around the world pray it too. The, the liturgy of the hours um, is a beautiful way to participate in the church's liturgical life without having to go to church or that you can do from your own home. Even you can download an app, iBrievery, on your phone and just start. Now, I can't say it's that easy to just start. It actually has a steep learning curve a little bit. I'll say. Actually do it the way the church lays out. However, it is the participation in the liturgy, the liturgical prayer of the church. And it doesn't take hours, <laughs> no. uh, regardless of how it sounds. Liturgy of the many, many hours. Um, yeah. yeah. And I would highly recommend like iBrievery. For those who, you know, don't know how to do the Liturgy of the Hours, because it just basically lays it out and you just follow along. Um, that's a great way to pray. Yeah. And it's really uh, something that I learned recently is that the Liturgy of the Hours, and they're talking about different hours in the day. That's where the Liturgy of the Hours comes from. There's multiple times a day that you can pray. That this prayer is not your prayer, but it's the prayer of the church as a whole that you're uniting yourself to. So you're praying on behalf of of the world on behalf of others. And even if you're not going through what, you know, these prayers or these Psalms are addressing, someone is, and you're praying on their behalf. And I've, I love that feeling of being by myself and praying, but knowing that I'm uniting my heart to people I don't even know through the power of the Holy spirit and my prayers make a difference. Yeah. It's the whole prayer of the church. It's beautiful. Um, now devotional prayer still has its role, but there's a different quality to it, right? When I pray the liturgy hours, I can't, I don't get to pick which Psalms I use for evening prayer, right? For Vespers. I use what the churches provide and we're all on the same page. It's just like at Sunday mass, every mass around the world is using the same readings. Same is true for the liturgy of the hours. It's beautiful. Now devotional prayer though has its place. I could pick if I want to pray just one Psalm in my devotional prayer. And I can pick what relates to me right now or whatever I choose, right? I could have a devotion to a particular saint, you know, like St. Jude, or I could have a devotion to, you know, the precious blood of Christ and have uh, a litany that I pray, which I do pray. Or just use now. your own words or just use your own or words. Just use your own words. Mm -hmm. And that's beautiful. Um, however, that's not the same as the liturgical prayer, which is the prayer of the whole body. And I think the sense that people are getting right now is we do long for that. I think that's why people are tuning into live streamed masses on their TV and getting the kids gathered around in chairs in front of a screen on Sunday mornings, right? To try to have that sense of, 
of communion in the sense of being one as a body, um, not in sense of holy communion, but as being one of, of, of the members of the body of the church. And I love that it's an impulse towards liturgy. And to me, it shows that we are made for liturgy. We are made to do this together. However, like to actually participate in the liturgy right now is more of a challenge, but it's worth tackling. One of my favorite definitions of prayer is in the catechism. And don't ask me to tell you where it is probably in the section on prayer, but uh, it, it defines prayer as a living relationship with God. Like prayer is a living, breathing relationship with mm. God. It's not just something that you do. It's something that you're living out. Um, you're living in his presence. You are in that relationship with him. That's why St. Therese of Lisieux can say it's an upward glance. It's a cry mm -hmm. of the heart. Um, and so I think sometimes we can take some of the pressure off in that sense because people are like, I don't know how to pray. I'm like, well, place yourself, you know, yeah. in the arms of your loving father or like, you know, reach up your reach up your hands like a little child asking to be picked up. Like it could be as simple as that. Um, but that regular daily lived out relationship, I mean, it's the only way that I'm able to keep sane in a world where I'm stuck and I can't go to work outside of the, the walls of my house where I've lost all sense of routine. I don't know what day it is anymore. If I didn't have that lived out relationship of prayer, I don't know what I do. This, that's one of the big graces and blessings of this whole epidemic is that I'm being um, forced to, to re-examine what is actually the most important thing in my life, where I, I have my idols are being torn down. My idols of routine, of uh, control, um, of knowing what's coming next, all those things have been stripped away from me. And all I have left is that relationship with God, which I should have been putting first all, all the time. But, you know, yeah. other things that snuck in. And so th what a great opportunity to renew that lived that lived and living relationship. Yeah, I remember I have a classmate um, in another part of the country who, you know, he, he brings the fire. And he was given a homily one day and then gave a different one the next, you know, about how one day he was talking about how important it is to go to mass. And, you know, basically everybody at daily mass. Yeah, they're like right on. I'm here. And then the next day he's like, and just remember, you could attend mass, but still not have an actual relationship with Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> like, Wait, what? <laughs> That's right. You can say the prayers, but it's not yeah, a relationship. But, but not actually have that relationship. So, And this is what's challenging for all of us, right? It's like, oh my goodness, that actual fact that I can't just assume I have this ongoing relationship with our Lord without actually acknowledging it in an intentional way right now that's out of my routine. And I do feel for people because we have a beautiful routine as Catholics. We have the routine of Sunday mass. We have the routine of our morning prayers and night prayers, hopefully. And it's beautiful. But the only thing right now that's actually changed is that we've suspended the public celebration of mass. The mass is still being celebrated. The graces are still available. You can still do all of your normal rule of life stuff. What does the lived faith look like? today, even without access right now for most of us to mass. Now, that's not what we want to get used to, but in a sense, this is going to be either a tremendous blessing or a curse. And it 
can be a blessing for all of us if we choose for it to be, where we take seriously now the opportunity we have to deepen our longing for our Lord in the Eucharist and to start living now, even how we want to afterwards, right? Like I saw a great um, speculation that would be so good about some saint's biography someday that traces back to the great Lent of 2020. <laughs> Love it. It's going on, right? And that it was after that great Lent that this, this saint started going to daily mass when they were able to again and you know all this and it's like yeah that's what i want too but we have to admit right now our attachments and the like we're really being challenged it's like wait 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 you've been receiving holy communion but where's your heart been hmm. how's that disposition are you sensitive to the sin in your life how about access to con confession which has been wild because I've been hearing confessions at the screen door of the office while I'm sitting six feet inside and someone's standing outside, not able to touch anything. Right. Cause we can't have a chair or kneeler as a common surface that could, you know, we're just trying to minimize, minimize all the risks for people. You, you know, know what it's like? It's like when you fast from something, when you're told you have to fast from it, suddenly that's all you want. Like, yeah. you know, Lent, you can't have meat on Fridays and suddenly every Friday, it's such a challenge. It's like, oh, Man, meat sounds so good today. And now we're being told you can't receive the Eucharist right now. And everyone yeah. wants it. It's just difficult to go to confession. Suddenly, I want to go to confession. Um, yeah. By the way, the definition of prayer with the catechism, 2565. 2565. Um, For everyone playing along at home. Every, well, I mean, it's good. Go read that whole paragraph because it's beautiful. But prayer is a living relationship with God. Um, yeah. You know, something also... Speaking of prayer, is for me, it's prayers become much more difficult. Mm. You know, in this period of time of uncertainty, like the grief that I feel over the over the loss of my life as it was before. Like I didn't realize I did I took it for granted. And for that all to be sort of ripped away and without any promise of when it's going to return, if it ever returns in the same form, like that really disrupted my prayer life. And like, there came a point where I felt like I didn't even know what to pray anymore. I was like, Holy Spirit, you're going to have to pray for me here because I don't know what to do. Um, I felt so distracted, so scattered. And something that encouraged me was this quote from St. John Paul II, our patron, who was speaking um, in his apostolic letter, Salvafici Dolores, you know, about suffering. And um, just allow me to read it to you, and then you give me your thoughts. He says, in general, it can be said that almost always the individual enters suffering with a typically human protest and with the question, why? He asks the meaning of his suffering and seeks an answer to this question on the human level. Certainly, he often puts this question to God and to Christ. Furthermore, he cannot help noticing that the one to whom he puts the question is himself suffering and wishes to answer him from the cross, from the heart of his own suffering. Nevertheless, it often takes time, even a long time, for this answer to begin to be interiorly perceived. For Christ does not answer directly, and he does not answer in the abstract. Man hears Christ's saving answer as he himself gradually becomes a sharer 
in the sufferings of Christ. The answer which comes through this sharing by way of the interior encounter with the master is above all a call. It is a vocation. Christ does not explain in the abstract the reasons for suffering, but before all else, he says, follow me. Come, take part through your suffering in this work of saving the world, a salvation achieved through my suffering, through my cross. And that's the end of his quote. And what really struck me there is I look up at the crucifix mm-hmm. and I say, why is this happening to me, God? And that silent response, Christ looking down at me and saying, hey, the suffering that you're going through is a vocation. Mm-hmm. It's a call to follow me and join your suffering to mine and participate in what I am doing. And I mean, that's what mystagogical catechesis is, isn't it? So, uh, <laughs> I mean, this opportunity, it's all nice to talk about it, but now that I'm actually really sort of drowning in the suffering on some yeah. days, it's like, let's put this into practice. This is what Christ is calling us to. This is a vocation. What do you think? For- For sure. No, I think that question that we bring to suffering of why is something everybody's struggling with. And I think it uncovers too the question that we don't like to ask ourselves is why do we have a relationship with God? Why do we pray? Why do we, why do we turn to him at all that we're scared for the answer? Because I think a lot of the times we turn to our Lord because the answer to our why is because we want to change circumstances in life. We want this or that, and we go to God, but really the real reason we need to pray is so that we are united with him, no matter what the circumstances are. And the challenge then in the midst of suffering is to realize, well, why do we pray? It's so we can be united to his suffering on the cross. And also we come with the assumption that we deserve better and we don't deserve better. We deserve death, <laughs> right? Like seriously, yeah, just, no, look, you're right. just get around it all. We come with this assumption that I deserve the good life and you don't, you have sinned, you've rejected God. That is an infinite rejection, even the smallest sin. And the response to that, God justifiably out of justice could be like, you're done. You're dead. You've chosen death over me in one sin. However, if we're given time after that one sin, it's only because of God's mercy. And it's so that we can repent and be united with him and turn back to him with all of our heart because our Lord is, he didn't, he didn't snuff us out after the fall. And it's been this whole beautiful plan of salvation for us. But the why, we don't get to just say, uh, we don't get asked from like our false assumptions anymore, hmm. right? We deserve way worse than this pandemic. And the problem of evil, that whole problem of suffering, why would a good God allow evil? We get into because we have false assumptions too. We assume that we deserve better than evil, Right. We deserve better than suffering. However, we never consider the problem of good enough. At least I don't. You know, the problem of evil is one thing. Why does a good God allow evil things to happen? Well, we would say, well, God's still in control. He can bring good out of evil, right? And we deserve worse than any of the suffering we're experiencing because we've rejected God um, from the beginning, unfortunately, with original sin and then even all of our own personal sin. But that problem of good, why would God still give us a chance? Why did he give you another day? Why are the gates of mercy open? Why does anyone have the potential to live? Why does anyone have the opportunity to love? 
Why do you have anyone who cares about you? These are all the problem of good. And if you're going to dwell on the problem of evil and suffering and know that the response is our Lord crucified, he doesn't just explain it away. He comes to us crucified. So too, we need to dwell on the problem of good and go to Jesus Christ crucified as well. Wow. The problem of good, you know, uh, complaining about the problem of evil is like complaining, like you're in a, in a bright sunlit land and you construct a little shack for yourself and you go in and you shut the door and you complain, why is it dark? Yeah, <laughs> You know, exactly. it's, it's like the sun's still shining. <laughs> exactly. I mean, just look at the martyrs, look at the great saints who have suffered for the faith in the face of ridiculous suffering. They still have joy because they realize it's not the circumstances of life. It's not the suffering itself that defines them in the, in the way of a, a negative thing. It's that they still have access to the heart of the father, even in the midst of all the circumstances and the suffering mm -hmm. that they can be one with Jesus Christ. I mean, that's it. You know, I was reading some St. Augustine recently, and he was talking about how could Jesus say, um, on one hand, that the gate is narrow, like the that the road is narrow to salvation and few find it. How could he say that on one hand, and on the other hand, say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? Like, how yeah. do those two things go together? And for Augustine, he said that, the, the reason the yoke is easy and the burden is light is not because that what we're going through is easy. He's like the path of humiliation, of humility mm -hmm. th that we need to endure, that we need to suffer in order to, you know, um, see our salvation. The cross that we have to bear, that's not easy, but it is made easy because of the reward that awaits us. Like a soldier who's fighting overseas, knowing what he's fighting for and that family that awaits him or whatever, the ideal, that earthly reward pales in comparison to the heavenly reward that we have waiting for us. And it makes it possible to endure anything, any suffering. And that suffering becomes easy because of Christ who awaits us, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's been encouraging to me too. It's like, it was never promised to me that this would be easy like in, in the, the current situation, but it is made easy because of what I know is awaiting me. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, for sure. You know, if we, if we lose hope, which that would is, is what that would be. If you don't have the end in mind, our end is heaven. That's what we were made for. And hope is that trust that God wants me there with him forever in heaven and that he's with me now. So if we lose that perspective, we've lost hope. But keep in mind that hope is a theological virtue. Yeah, hope is, to is a gift of, of God himself to us. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's that living relationship again. It's yes. like that infused yeah. hope. That it's comes. not just something I try, I try hard enough to hold on exactly. to. Exactly. No. We I, can't come you know, up with hope yeah. on our own. You just have to open yourself to it. And, uh, and I've been loving these. I've been doing all these reflections from St. Maximilian Colby as I'm leading the rosary. And man, that's some, that is some juice. That is some go juice. I'll tell you that. Did he know something about right. suffering? St. Maximilian oh, Colby. Oh my goodness gracious. You know, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And this whole like perspective of, you know, obedience to the will of God, that's it. That's it. You know? Mm -hmm. And it's like God's permissive will. So we understand God's will, right? His ordained will, his permissive will, God's will, meaning like some people only understand God's will as like, oh, he caused this. Like I'm a direct, you know, I'm a cause 
of, you know, my microphone being in front of me because I said it there, right? Where we don't say like, okay, God, yes, he's the ultimate, <laughs> he's the first mover. So he caused everything, right? But when we talk about his will, there is his permissive will. So anything that happens, he's allowing to happen. Right. So we can say in that sense, God wills it. Now, how am I actually obedient though to his will? How do I listen to him? Well, I have to follow his law and I have to love and I have to pray. Right. And in the midst of these times where everything's so difficult and there's so much suffering, this really hones the opportunity for obedience, obedience to God's will. And I think a real spiritual practice right now is grieving what we've lost but allowing that grief to transform into gratitude for everything that is happening right now too. And that's crazy to even say. That's crazy to say out loud. Yeah. But to actually thank God for his will and thank God even for the circumstances that I'm able to turn to him in the midst of it and that this can be how our Lord is calling us to pour out love in such ridiculous ways. How often do we go in prayer to God as a way to gain more control? Yeah, You know, yeah, like yeah. we approach God as like that divine vending machine and we're like, now I know how I'm going to get my, what I want. I'll ask God to do it for me. And it's really just a way of us trying to control him as opposed mm -hmm. of us sort of um, being docile to him and, you know, actually mm -hmm. letting go of control and saying, thy will be done, not my will. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a tricky it's trap. A, it's a trap. And it's so backwards because the truth is, if we don't surrender to God, we are surrendering to our passions. We're surrendering to become slaves to sin, to all of our attachments. And now that we were having those uncovered, it really hurts. It really, really hurts, right? You know, all the things that are being canceled right now, if they were properly ordered towards God, could be fine. Sports, movies, all these gatherings and being able to get together. The problem is we know they've been disordered for each one of us. We've put them out of order and we've put God behind some of that stuff. And it hurts to admit that. And it hurts to, to say, okay, I'm not going to God now just so I get my old life back or so I get the movies I want back or the sports I want back. It's like, no, you have everything you need right now. Are you going to let God order your heart? And that type of heart surgery hurts and it's painful and our attachments are real. But are we willing to be obedient to God? And instead of just turning to him, like you said, the vending machine saying, I just want my stuff back saying, no, Jesus, I want you. Hmm. It's sort of like the spiritual hand sanitizer bottle being pumped oh. out on all of our lives. And, uh, you know, we're being <laughs> cleansed. You know, isn't that, isn't that what Lent is? Lent is a period of being purified of all of those, uh, those attachments, those disordered desires. And we, you know, we kind of get into it a little bit. I'm not going to eat chocolate this, this Lent. But man, yeah, the great Lent of 2020 is upon us. Where we it have is. all, you know, had to experience true detachment, whether we like it or not. I love the it. The lentiest of Lents. Yes, the lentiest of Lents. But that's an important point about Lent, because usually as we approach Lent, we forget it's not about you <laughs> in that sense, right? Like this is about preparing for the cross. <laughs> and the cross, if, we, if, if you actually have an authentic cross in your life, it's something you didn't choose, mm. right? This isn't like, you know, a, a novelty that I get to pick one from among many different crosses I might like. No, an authentic cross in your life is something you don't choose. And you, we have not chosen this pandemic. We have not chosen for the circumstances of our life right now to be so upended. This is a real cross, but the problem is we might reject it. We might be so attached to things that have been torn apart that unfortunately 
we miss out on the cross mm-hmm. and that would be a sad Lent indeed. So what an opportunity that we have to enter into this Lent while it still goes on. But you know what, even as we enter into the Easter season and beyond, you know, we are always called to that Lenten purification and preparation. And so the great Lent of 2020, you know, is just getting started really. Well, that's the thing. How great of an Easter could we have if we actually allow this to be a great Lent? Oh my goodness. The great Easter of 2020. Yeah. Right. The great Easter of 2020. If we actually are allowing ourselves to be conformed to the cross. Now we're all fighting that in our own way, unfortunately, because we're not holy yet, but we do ask God for that gift. And, uh, and just, I think it's a big opportunity we have right now to receive everything here as a gift, even with public masses suspended, even with the inability to receive our Lord and Holy communion, to understand if God has willed this, it can be for our good. So let us truly allow it to be for our good. Let's deepen that longing for him. Amen. Well, we went through all the questions and uh, and went into even more interesting things, at least to me. So hopefully that was a help to, to all of you listeners out there, a comfort. It was definitely comforting to me personally, so I'm glad we did it. <laughs> good. Well, thanks be to God. No, our Lord is good. And there have been so many graces. And um, I just want to uh, put a plug in for... Uh, just a daily rosary. I mean, I lead one online every day, but just please, please, please don't waste these days and allow in the midst of so much chaos, it seems like to schedules and all that to begin a new routine that you really can carry past this Lenten season, the great Lent of 2020. And my greatest recommendation is the daily rosary. But let me say this. I can't participate with in the mass truly over a live stream, but I can participate in the rosary over a live stream, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. So there's that's something true. that we really, really can sort of sink our teeth into. <laughs> okay. Those are my teeth. Woo. I'm glad I'm yes. not your microphone right now. <laughs> I'm going to have to sanitize the world. <laughs> yeah, please. I, I want please that whole that. rectory sanitized before I step foot in it again, for sure. Oh, God. We are going to be going back to our regularly scheduled programming following this episode. So we're we're, yeah, why not? we're going to talk about what's going on in the liturgy. And, yeah. and some of these episodes were recorded before the Great Lent of 2020. So uh, just be aware of that. It's still, you know, great stuff. It'll just make you hunger for the liturgy even more. <laughs> Buckle up. But that being said, if you still have questions, don't hesitate to, to send them our way. We'd love... We love to discuss questions. I try not to say answer questions, <laughs> but, yeah, and, but uh, we will hey, discuss your questions. Um, yeah, and uh, I'm sure there's a way that you can ask those with a voice memo type thing, too, that Shaw, producer, will tell us about right, later. Shaw will figure it out. You can hop on anchor.fm forward slash Mysticat and click message to submit a question. So I want to shout out to Nate. Nate is one of our young listeners. His dad told me that uh, he listens to Mysticat. So, hey, Nate. Yeah, you got you to gotta start loving the liturgy early and loving the faith. Mm. Form those desires for Jesus. All right. So you've been listening to Mysticat. I'm Father Andrew Strobel. I'm Curtis Ketty. Go forth and sanitize your life. Then that would be- No, be, have your life... Be open to the sanitization of your life. Uh, there's, you know, that's something that is not in short supply. Holy hand sanitizer. Oh, forget it. 
Holy hand sanitizer. 